Hello mamas, Laura here and today I'm sharing my first birth story with you all. Enjoy! Hey mama, I'm sending you Wonderful pregnancy vibes, it's time for you To guide you through, let's take some time for you It's pregnancy with physio Hello mamas and welcome back to the Pregnancy with Physio Laura podcast. Today we are diving into episode three of five in this C-section birth series, sharing my first birth story with you all. Now I'm sharing the interview I did with Sophie Walker from the Australian Birth Stories podcast, which was recorded a few weeks after my second baby was born. Don't forget we've already released the first two episodes on mental preparation and processing for a C-section birth, as well as physical recovery after a C-section birth. So make sure you go and check those out before diving into today's episode. Now, the reason I wanted to use this interview on Australian birth stories rather than to re-record my birth stories is that our story changes with time. So as we learn more about ourselves, our past, or as our life experience changes, so too can our past stories. And I didn't want to change the story to suit today's Laura, as I felt it was rawer to share it from an earlier time. I was only a few weeks post my second C-section when I recorded that interview with Sophie and truthfully, I hadn't listened to it again until I started planning this podcast series, which is a year and a half later. And it was really interesting to go back and hear a past version of Laura talk about what happened and 95% of the story would continue to be told the same way if I were to re-record it today. The only things I feel I have a different lens or perspective on now is how I would have managed the late stage of my pregnancy and heading into my labor. Now, I don't want to dive too much into this now as the purpose of this podcast is to just share my story and hope that it resonates with some people or helps other people feel, you know, more positively about their births. But in hindsight and reflection, I probably wouldn't have agreed to be induced before my due date for the reasons that I was. And I also would have chosen to go home and wait after the induction didn't work rather than to have a C-section. However, in saying that, They are the choices I would have made today. They are not the choices that I would have made three years ago when this birth first took place. Now, I don't have any regrets from my birth. In fact, I actually have quite positive feelings and experiences towards them, which I'm very grateful to have had because I feel like my first two births have been exactly what I needed. They have taught me the exact lessons that I needed to learn and they have put me in the position I am in today. So whilst I say I would go back and change these things, I really wouldn't because I needed all these experiences to be where I am at right now, but I certainly have learned from them and that is how I would change those situations if I were to be in the same position today. So I hope that makes sense. (laughs) As I record this episode, I am over halfway through my third pregnancy and I'm excited to share this journey and the upcoming birth with you all afterwards. And it's so great to be able to share my learnings and experiences from each birth journey so far. Now, there is so much amazing goodness left in this C-section birth series. So if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to the Pregnancy with Physio Laura podcast so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes. And don't forget that this entire podcast series, including my next birth story and a Q&A episode on C-sections, is now live inside my online membership program, The Pregnancy Posse. I would love to help you have a healthy, active, pain-free pregnancy. So just head over to thepregnancyposse.com to see what The Pregnancy Posse is all about. And remember, you can trial the program for seven days. Now, for today's Laura's Life Lessons, (laughs) 
I thought this one would tie in really well with what I just mentioned about my learnings from my first birth story. So to use a quote I love, there is no such thing as failure, only learning experiences. So I personally truly don't believe that anything in life is a failure. I believe it is either a lesson that you needed to learn or a redirection from life that needed to go a different way. So I hope that if you are feeling like you've failed something in life, instead look at it like you've just learned an incredible lesson about the world, about yourself, about your environment, whatever it might be. Now, let's get into episode three of our five-part C-section birth series, chatting about my first pregnancy and birth story. In today's episode of the show, I interview Laura and Laura takes us through her two pregnancies and births. She had an emergency cesarean in her first and she attempted a VBAC with her second and I'll let you know how that went in today's episode. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show today, Laura. It's lovely to have you on. Thank you. I'm very excited to be chatting to you. It's funny. It's like we're pen friends. We've been talking for years and um, nice to finally (laughs) chat in real real virtual life (laughs) yeah it is (laughs) um do you want to explain a little bit about yourself to the listeners where you're living and um who's in your family and what you do for work yeah of course so I'm Laura and I live on the surf coast in Victoria and I live with my husband JA and my son Mussy who is 20 months now and my daughter Pia who is three weeks old she's wrapped up on my chest right now hopefully not going to be too noisy during this podcast um (laughs) we'll see how we go but um, I'm a women's health physio so I work mostly with pregnant and postnatal women and I work um in Geelong at a clinic and I also run an online pregnancy program the pregnancy posse so that keeps me nice and busy yeah definitely and we've um been shouting out to the pregnancy posse later so um, people can check that out but we'll put all the links in the show notes and you can perhaps expand a little bit more on um, that throughout because I know you were practicing what you preach basically throughout your season (laughs) (laughs) absolutely yes I've had some lovely women from um, ABS join the posse as well which has been really nice so awesome yeah it's been good Um, do you want to just take us through um, your first pregnancy then did you plan to conceive when you did yeah, so we we did. We had been talking about having children for maybe like six months leading up to it and um, it was always that, oh, when's the right time? And I, I kept saying, oh, but I want to do this with my business or go on a big Italy trip beforehand and I think you think the world's going to end when you have a baby. So I had this big bucket list and then I sort of woke up one day and I went, why am I trying to tickle these things off? Because I'm always trying to rush it so that I can have a baby. Let's just have a baby. Like, why do I need to have done all these things beforehand? And so we went, okay, let's do it. And fortunately, we fell pregnant uh, quite quickly. Um, and I didn't know any different. And I had been tracking my cycle um, for probably about six months before we started trying. So I was pretty confident in knowing when to try to conceive and all of that. But Um, unfortunately we had two miscarriages to start with which is not what I expected and sort of not what you're prepared for when you're young and fit and healthy and don't really know of anyone else who's had that before so that was a little bit of a um, hiccup 
but it's funny how in hindsight it all feels like it worked out how it was meant to be and I had a really good obstetrician who was very reassuring and um, comforting and yeah we were very lucky so despite having that little hiccup at the start of it we were able to conceive Mussy just a couple of months after our second miscarriage and whilst you know we were quite anxious and we didn't really celebrate probably for the first 12 weeks because you're always on tender hooks about how things are going to go but after that 12 week uh, ultrasound um, you know we could relax a little bit more and it was very exciting um, and yeah so that's how we conceived Mussy and touch wood um, the rest was all very very smooth sailing so yeah I can't complain at all. <laughs> did you just sort of treat yourself throughout your pregnancy with exercise and things like that or did you see another physio for a kind of more objective opinion? <laughs> yeah that's a great question because a lot of people ask me if the physio has a physio but um, I was fortunate in that I didn't really have too many troubles so I had a little bit of SIJ or um, you know like back pain, pelvic pain towards the end of my pregnancy and I did get a couple of treatments with a colleague um, just to help me manage that a little bit better and I occasionally got taped up from a colleague. It was never anything um, super official, it was like oh you know I'm a bit niggly today, someone's got a free appointment I'll just slot in there and get some treatment but I, I mostly managed myself because I knew what to avoid if I had pain and how to pull back and modify and um, I'm just trying to think because it all blurs into one but the pregnancy posse no I didn't have the pregnancy posse when I was pregnant with Mussy so I didn't have my workouts to follow but I, I was doing my own sort of routine at home and um, keeping fit in the ways I felt comfortable um, and yeah just the occasional physio appointment um, with a colleague so that was really handy. And did you um, continue on with you mentioned you had an obstetrician did you continue on under sort of private care with them? Yeah so I um, before I fell pregnant I had started looking up I had always thought I would want to go privately because I really liked the idea of the continuity of care and having the same person seeing you every single time and I really knew I wanted that 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 would work for me and um, after having the miscarriage I hadn't actually seen my obstetrician for a pregnancy checkup yet so the first time I saw him was because I was having a miscarriage and we wanted to check to see if I needed a DNC or anything um, and just the way he handled that really cemented to me that this was going to be the guy I would see for all of my pregnancies and he was really really good at how he handled it he made my husband and I feel so comfortable and reassured and so yeah I was I was sold on him for the pregnancy I wasn't second guessing that at all so we went back to him for yeah for the pregnancy as well so and I had found him because a client of mine um I was sort of sussing out my patients when I was thinking about conceiving I was asking them how how do you find your experience who did you see blah 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 I was getting a bit of a um you know testimonials and this one lady I don't know why it stood out to me but she mentioned she had this obstetrician and um, just the way she was describing her I thought he seems he seems like someone I'd get on with really well and that's how I picked him <laughs> through a patient recommendation. Oh so cool. Yeah. Um, so I've, I've come across in my time seeing women's health physios I've come across two physios that um, pre were pre-babies but were both adamant that they wanted cesareans because they're like no we've seen we've seen the other end of things because they're treated sort of prolapses and yeah. traumas and things did you feel that did 
all your experience working with women postnatally, did that sort of shape what you wanted for your birth or what you didn't want? Um, yeah, great question because I definitely think there are some physios who are a bit nervous about it because, you know, you can't help but think that what you're seeing is how everyone is. And I know um, anyone in the healthcare industry is the same. I know women who work with um, infants in special care are really concerned that their babies are going to have issues and whatnot. And, you know, being a women's health physio, you're only dealing with women who have problems after birth and need your help. So you start to get a bit of a bias that you think everyone who's had uh, a vaginal delivery is going to need help and it's definitely not the case we're only seeing the minority of women with prolapse and incontinence and things like that but I certainly had it in the back of my mind and I think it made me really determined to do everything I could to prepare for birth well but I certainly I never walked into pregnancy and birth thinking oh I'm definitely having a cesarean I do not want to um, do any damage to my pelvic floor I was quite the opposite I was like oh if I could birth in a rainforest I would I would do it as natural as can be and I've always been a bit of a birth junkie and I loved watching YouTube clips and docos on birth and so I think I'm a little bit unusual in that whilst I had that knowledge of what could potentially you know go wrong or what could happen to your pelvic floor I certainly was still very keen on natural birth and um yeah as as little intervention as possible and like I said you know birthing in a rainforest and I have all these grand dreams and it certainly didn't turn out that way but um yeah I, I wasn't scared by it yeah yeah awesome and did you have um, many pregnancy symptoms other than the sort of bit of niggling lower back pain? Were you very nauseous or anything with your first? I was really lucky in that I had. I just felt um, a little bit seedy. I felt I wasn't really vomiting very much, but I just felt always a bit groggy and um, a bit nauseous. But um, that was absolutely fixed by having hash browns, which was terrible. <laughs> I remember I would start in the clinic at 7am and I would go past McDonald's at 6.30 and get my two hash browns and I'd turn up to the clinic and I'd had my hash browns for breakfast and I was feeling great and um, it probably didn't help with weight gain and other things during pregnancy but it certainly kept the nausea at bay but I was very lucky like I my um some family members and friends have had terrible nausea during their pregnancy in HG and um, I was just one of the lucky ones, touch wood, that I didn't, I didn't have hardly any of those symptoms and I didn't have diabetes or any other complications. It was all pretty straightforward um, during my pregnancy. I had ho- horrible heartburn and I remember thinking, God, every time a client said to me they had reflux, I would go, oh, yes, you know, you poor thing, but I didn't really you know, give them the attention I felt it desired because after I had reflux, now every time someone tells me they do, I go, oh, my God, you poor thing. That is the worst. It's just horrible. But I really can't complain. I was very lucky. And I I don't think I've seen pictures of your little boy, but I know Pia's got like a full head of hair. So maybe there's truth to that one. Absolutely. He was, um, my kids are total opposite. She was born with a thick head of black hair and Mussy is blonde, but he was born fairly bald. So, um, yeah, 50-50 on that theory. (laughs) (laughs) Funny. And um, did you do any other external birth classes or did you just go with what your obstetrician offered at the hospital? 
Yeah, so my obstetrician was big on calm birth. He, he was a big advocate for that. But unfortunately, when I went to book, because I was due on Australia Day, and so it was like that busy Christmas, New Year period, and um, everything was sold out. So I couldn't get into the calm birth course that he had recommended. So... I relied on, I'd been running active birth classes for a while, so I felt confident in, a lot of that was based on Juju Sundan's book, Active Birth Skills, which I love and recommend yeah, to everyone. put a link to that one too. Yes. Yeah, did you read that yourself? I did for my first, yeah, and uh, I joked that I went a bit too hard on Juju because I was like the first twinge, I was like up, up and stomping and then like 36 hours later I was exhausted. But when used correctly, I think it's great. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point to make, actually. Yeah, yeah. You got to conserve your energy when you can. Yep. Yeah. Um, so I sort of relied on uh, a lot of the knowledge I already had, but I then joined up to the She Births online course oh, yeah. as well because I thought it would be nice to have something extra. Um, and I really like She Birth. Um, have read a lot of their resources, but I was a terrible participant in that. I did sign up, but I didn't really use it very much. So I can't really comment on whether that was terribly helpful or not because I just it was it was almost a bit too overwhelming in that final trimester the thought of going through an entire other birth program um but I also did the hospital classes and purely out of interest because I wanted to know what they were about because I always had people asking me should I do a hospital class or not and and I found that really helpful um, in terms of knowing when to go to the hospital and all the things that you could be presented with at the hospital, i.e. vacuum, um, epidural, things like that. But I found it quite underwhelming in terms of actually equipping you with the skills to labour and birth well. And so it's good because now if people ask me, I always recommend to do a supplementary class like a calm birth or a hypnobirth or an active birth because I really do think you need to have a skill set and not every um, tool is going to work for every woman, but you know, breathing or active movement or football or mindset. Like I think there needs to be something extra to deal with labour um, contractions rather than just knowing what they are. Yeah. Um, so it, it was good experience. And, look, I really liked the part of the birth class was the newborn component and we had no idea, my husband and I, so we really enjoyed learning how to bath a baby and how to put a nappy on and those sorts of things. So that, that was really good. But I did change my tactic for baby number two, but um, we can talk about that now. We can talk about that when we get there. I did a few extra things to get myself ready for birth. Yeah, yeah. we'll hold off. We'll do that one in a minute. Yeah, um, yeah. So how was the end um, stages of your pregnancy the sort of last couple of weeks? Yeah, it was really good actually because it was Christmas and New Year's and so, you know, the sun was out and I was swimming and I felt really good still apart from the reflux. So I was keeping very active. Um Everything was going really well. So medically, everything was perfect. Um, my blood pressure spiked a little bit at the very end of pregnancy, but um, nothing major, um, just a little bit of a hike. And the main things we were keeping an eye on is that Mussy, we didn't know we were having a boy, but Mussy was um, measuring really big from about 30 weeks onwards. So just on the tape measure fundal heights. But we went and got an extra scan maybe around 34 weeks, just to see how he was measuring so we could make an informed decision. And he was measuring in like the 95th percentile at that stage, which I know can be so inaccurate. So I, I sort of took it with a grain of salt, but 
all signs were sort of pointing towards him being on the bigger side of life. And so we started having discussions around what we would do. Would we try and get him to come on out a little bit earlier, given the risks with babies who are slightly bigger, et cetera, et cetera, which was difficult because I think you always expect first, or I expected first baby, your waters would break at home, you'd go into labor at home and then you come to the hospital and you give birth. But being induced looked very different to that. Um, so I remember we had like a final holiday and I was kind of hoping that I would go into labor um, on my own and one night I thought my waters had broken but it, they hadn't and I got really excited but um, we had agreed to trial induction I would have been about 38 and a half weeks um, and I, at that stage I was measuring about 42 or 43 weeks so I was quite big I was getting all the, are you sure your dates are right and are you sure you're not having twins and all of those really pesky comments and you don't realise how annoying they are until you are the person receiving them. But um, we went in, so that would have been, yeah, 38 and a half weeks. So we went in to be induced and I, I really didn't know what to expect. I hadn't read up much on induction. A lot of my reading had just been around um, spontaneous labour. Everything I had taught had been around that. I'd never really delved into induction. So I was a little bit naive. And so we went in and we had the Proston gel. So that was put in um, at night time. And the idea is that you get a dose of gel, you go for a bit of a wander, and then you come back a couple of hours later and they reassess and see how your progress is. So we went and um, had like a lovely dinner in Ligon Street as like a final hurrah, knowing that baby was coming very soon. And I was really confident that things were going to kick up pretty quickly because my sister-in-law had also had a similar type of induction. We did the final hurrah dinner with her and then she had the baby at 8 a.m. the next day. And so I was like, right, okay, this baby's coming tomorrow. Like things are really going to get moving. Um, and then we went back to the hospital and they checked and nothing was really happening. And they said that can be quite common. They, so they give you some Panadol and a sleeping tablet and say, go home, have a good sleep in anticipation that tomorrow, you know, things are going to start ramping up. And I remember driving home and I was uncomfortable, but I was fine. And I was sort of hoping to have like this restless night's sleep and be laboring at home. And I went to bed and, and then I woke up at 7am and I'd obviously had a brilliant sleep and I thought, oh, okay, well, nothing's happening. I'm, I'm not going into labor. Yep. <laughs> yes. It's funny wishing to go into discomfort. But yeah, it's weird. <laughs> It's a strange, yeah, very strange will. But we went back to the hospital in the morning and they check you again. And so um, nothing had changed, nothing was happening. And so they gave me another dose of the gel. And then it's sort of go again for a walk, get things moving, try and be upright, get gravity to work. So I remember, I look back at it in hindsight and I was like, I was not prepared at all. I had my Birkenstock sandals on and we ended up going for a three-hour walk around the gardens and we grabbed a coffee and I was thinking, like, why am I walking in sandals? I had this awful waddle happening and I was so uncomfortable. So I was having tightenings and I didn't know what labor felt like, but Turns out it wasn't productive labor anyway. So I was having tightenings, but nothing was progressing. Like as soon as I, I lay down in the park with JA and just had like a little, you know, catch some sun and have a think about how everything's going to pan out and we're going to meet our baby. And then 
it stopped as soon as I lay down and then they'd ramp up again as I stood up and I, again I didn't know what to expect so I thought we were you know going to get induced and have this baby vaginally by the end of the day and we got back to the hospital so it'd been about yeah three hours of walking and two or three round two or three rounds of gel by then and my OB checked me and nothing <laughs> nada my cervix had not changed in the slightest it was long it was closed it, there was no signs of it wanting to come along to the party just yet so they were hoping to see um, my obstetrician was saying he doesn't see it very often when nothing happens so it doesn't necessarily get everything happening but sometimes the gel or a lot of the time the gel is enough to at least dilate women or thin their cervix enough to then be able to break your waters or do further induction techniques but because nothing had happened to my cervix they couldn't break my waters um, they there were very limited options as to what they could do to get things going and Mussy's head was still high um, and yeah it, things just weren't tracking how they would expect so then then the discussion was had around having a cesarean which is not was not on my radar at all I just didn't think that that's how it would end um, or I think there was an option of like you could go home we can wait a couple of weeks and see if anything happens and come back in and it's a really interesting mindset when you go in to have a baby and then you're told that you could just go home and wait because you're like but, but I came to have a baby like I can't leave and come back in two weeks time it just seems really crazy um how many weeks were you then sorry i've forgotten i was 38 and a half weeks okay, so yeah. I could have gone longer but um yeah it's a really interesting mindset when you've come to have a baby and then i just don't think i even considered going home and waiting yeah. um i think for me look and it is hard because i've been through a similar mental decision making a second time around so this part's a bit hazier but there was lots of tears, there was lots of what do we do, what's the right decision. I remember thinking that my main concern, I wasn't scared to have a cesarean, I certainly wasn't scared, but I have always thought I'd like to have three or four children and my, my main concern was if I have a cesarean for my first baby, does that mean it's going to limit my options for how many children I want to have because you know there's a general consensus that two or three Caesars is about all women should be having. And So I was really future-tripping as to you know like what does this mean for the future as opposed to what does it mean for me right now so after a lot of like discussion with my husband and my obstetrician and I never felt pressured I never was like scared into it or anything like that it was always my call which is amazing because I can't imagine being like pressured into it but it's really hard to make that decision for yourself as well sometimes I wish that I was just told baby's breach and you have to have it this way or you know there's like a really final answer it's really hard to try and make that call because you're always thinking am I making the right decision but anyway long story short um we decided to have the cesarean and once I'd made the decision I felt so much calmer about it it was the decision making that was the hardest bit um because again you don't know what the right decision is and you th you know you're always thinking but what if and I think that's the that's the thing with birth what if I wait another couple of weeks or what if you know um I walk a little bit more or and you just don't have a magic eight ball so it's it's really hard to make a decision based on what ifs but I'm really glad I made that decision because I was really healthy I was really happy Mussy was super healthy and so it was technically an emergency cesarean but I walked into theatre it wasn't um being rushed in last minute and everything you know crazy crazy so um yeah that that was a hard the decision making process of that but it's amazing once 
baby comes out, you just forget about all of that. Like you're so focused on how incredible. I remember I was crying. I couldn't actually see him because I had so many tears in my eyes and you can't really like touch your face very well when you're on the table. So JA is like dabbing my eyes and telling me we had a little mussy. That's how he announced it. We had a boy name and a girl name and, um, yeah, no, I was just, I just cried. I cried and I cried and I cried. There were so many different reasons for that. And I think a big part of it was going, I'm about to meet my baby. Like there's something really surreal about sitting outside of theatre knowing that in 15 minutes you're going to have a child. And I, I don't have the opposite experience, but I'm not sure if in the throes of labour and birth you're thinking, I'm about to meet my baby, this is really surreal, or whether you're just caught up in the contractions. But there's something strange about feeling fairly comfortable sitting on a chair going, oh, this is happening. Like, it, it, this is real. I'm going to be a parent. And I think a lot of the tears were about, oh, wow, this is this is big. So, yeah, that's how Mussy's birth went down. So, <laughs> What was it like? Did you get to do a um, bit of skin-to-skin in recovery or how did they manage you there after he was out? So this is the one downfall of his birth versus Pierre's birth. And I don't know if it's the same for every hospital. I don't think it is because my mum's a midwife and she was a bit shocked that Mussy came out before me, but because it was an emergency caesarean, from a staffing point of view, they don't assign a midwife to theatre or something like that. So I actually was in recovery on my own for 20, 20 minutes, maybe 30 minutes without Mussy. And at the time, I didn't probably know any different. It was a bit weird just sort of lying there going, oh, I had a son and okay, you know, I'm just hanging out on my own waiting to see him. I had seen him obviously in theatre. Um, I'd had some cuddles for maybe five, ten minutes and then he went with JA while they um, sewed me up and then you go to recovery just to check that everything's okay. And then I was upstairs with him. But um, that was one thing I knew going into my second pregnancy, regardless of whether it was an emergency cesarean or a scheduled C-section, I was going to make sure that um, baby stayed with me in recovery because I just, I don't know, my reasoning was, well, I think the, the best place for baby to be is with mum. If mum's healthy and baby's healthy, and I just, I don't know, I don't agree with the staffing issue. I think baby's better off without a midwife and with mum than worry about if there's a midwife on star so I, I don't really agree with that policy but at the time it it didn't bother me it was more reflecting on it I thought no 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 I I really want to be with my baby there's no reason for baby to be away from me and so that was something I was walking into the second one if, um, with as like a request um, and I thought they really can't you know deny you that that's I think that's a real birthright if you're healthy and baby's healthy but yeah aside from that um the first feed went really well, so I got skin on skin as soon as I came upstairs. And that was another thing, actually, that I was concerned about because you hear with caesareans that breastfeeding can be a lot harder because you're not getting the natural cascade of hormones um, and that, you know, I know there's a lot of talk about vaginal seeding. I'm not sure if you've heard much about that. Yeah, but. Yeah, so that baby's immunity can be a little bit compromised because they're not getting the bacteria from the vaginal canal etc etc so they were two of my concerns but touch wood we were so lucky in that breastfeeding was never a problem so he latched really well he fed like a champ and immunity wise he's been an absolute legend so I think the classic um, things that you're told about with Caesars in terms of long term um, we never really had those issues so that was really fortunate 
Yeah, I heard um, Dr. Sarah Buckley talking about that one time and she said if you miss that that window of skin to skin due to a traumatic birth or due to a cesarean or what have you, that you can definitely make it up. You just perhaps have to do twice as much skin on skin. So if you just yeah. sure that as soon as you get them back, you really embrace that time and work on it and then you can overcome it with oxytocin and things like that. But yeah. Absolutely. And that's probably really good for women to hear because I know that's a really big concern. Um, and I, I asked before, you know, we were going to chat today, I asked some of my uh, ladies if they had any questions and a lot of them were around how I went with breastfeeding after a Caesar because I think a lot of women are concerned about that. But um, look, I think um, there, there obviously is a little bit behind, um, behind it. Otherwise, we wouldn't be hearing about it. But I think, like you said, you can overcome that with other strategies. So that's really good for women to know because it's not all done. You know, it's not finished and you can't get that time back if you don't get that initial skin to skin. So yeah, that's really good to know. Yeah, make up the cap. Um, yeah, and did you have a good support team in hospital with helping you sort of navigate feeding and latching and things like that? Yeah, I, I, the midwives, I do remember, like, it's a bit hit and miss sometimes who you get. Some of them are really wonderful and some of them, actually, I'll tell you a quick funny story. This is not to do with breastfeeding, but we play white noise when uh, our kids are really little and we read um, some things on it beforehand and it can be quite calming. And so we brought a speaker into the hospital to play white noise to help Mussy settle and we were doing really well in hospital. He was feeding well, settling well, all of that. And I remember in the middle of the night, one of the midwives came in and said, oh, what's that noise? And I said, oh, we just play white noise. It's like static noise to help him settle. And she laughed and she said, oh, God, he's going to be walking down the aisle on his wedding day listening to white noise, you know, like it's such a bad habit to get into now. He'll never, you know, like be able to separate himself from it or something like that. <laughs> And I was like, oh yeah, and I breastfeeding did, did. before he walks down the aisle too. Yeah, That's quick what I said. Like, yeah, exactly. You just have a little top up before he gets married. So I had some midwives like that, but look, for the most part, I had really fabulous midwives. And I think for me, my mum is a midwife and maternal child health nurse, and she's always been very helpful as you know, a close family member that's also got that professional knowledge so um I remember I had a cracked nipple in the hospital and because you don't know any different I just thought yeah good and bear it bite on a towel get through that first bit but I had a midwife say to me no 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 if that's sore like you shouldn't be screwing your face up like that you need to get that latch better and that was probably the best advice I ever had because I thought it was a oh no but it's meant to be a bit sore for the first bit and um touch wood with Pia I because I knew that I would take her off every time she wasn't latched properly and correct her latch and I didn't get a single crack this time and again that's just confidence and knowledge but I think that's a good that was a good tip the midwife gave me because yeah I didn't know any different I thought oh yeah a little bit of pain but I was biting on a towel and wincing and yeah and And once they're cracked it's a bit of a trap trying to heal them because you can't give them a break really exactly right and I think I don't know how women do it with bleeding nipples and cracked nipples. I only had this for maybe a week and it was really traumatising. I remember feeling anxious every time I had to feed on that side and uh, it was awful. But other than that, breastfeeding was really good. I had wonderful support. I had good milk supply um, and all of that. So I always joke that back in the day I would have been probably the wet nurse to all of the other cave women's children. (laughs) 
<laughs> I have a really good supply, so I'm lucky. <laughs> uh, funny. And um, did you have four nights in hospital? How long were you in for? So with the emergency C-section, it was five nights in hospital um, because you get that extra night. Again, it wasn't really an emergency, but on the books it was. Um, and being first baby, that was brilliant because you get fed like five times a day and, you know, JA could stay in the hospital with me and it was just a really nice period to get settled. My milk could well and truly come in. We felt very comfortable to go home um, at the end of that. So, yeah, it was, it was nice. So nice. And in between your kids, you developed the pregnancy posse. So I imagine going into your second pregnancy, you were well and truly prepared and ready to go. Yeah, definitely. So that was, um, oh, I can't even remember the timeline exactly, but I think it was launched maybe three or six months before I fell pregnant. Um, and yeah, it was really cool because I, I felt like I had this real community of women around me whilst I was pregnant. And I had so much like encouragement and support. And if I had questions about I remember I had hay fever and I didn't know what to do and all these women would give me advice and um, especially with the VBAC preparations, I had a lot of encouragement and women were sending me resources and it was just so wonderful to have built this community of ladies who were all really invested in each other and helping each other out and, and yeah, even just to be able to follow my own workouts, little things like that was really, really helpful. But then the, the most beautiful thing was having the community around me. It was like having the ultimate pregnancy mother's group. So that was really nice. Yeah, they talk about having it. A few people have mentioned that mother's group should start before the baby's born because it's yes. those first kind of week or a couple of weeks that you really need to ask random questions to people. So it's beautiful to start, yeah, to go into the pregnancy and pre-birth yes. and have them ready to go. That and is so true. You moderate that group yourself too, so there's not just like crazy rogue comments in there. It's Correct. Safe, it's a safe space. Yeah, it's yeah. spot on. Yeah, because I think the internet can be a little bit of a rabbit hole, and I certainly found myself in preparation for a VBAC. I yeah, I'll admit I was googling things and on all sorts of random forums, and they were just um, they were doing. Uh, more negative things to my mental health than anything and I think it yeah it's nice to have a, a moderated space that's for sure yeah for sure hey mamas Laura here I really hope you got something out of that episode I think I always have a slight vulnerability hangover after sharing anything personal and a birth story is probably about one of the most personal things that you can share so please do head over to my socials at physio Laura if you have any follow-up questions or if you want to chat with me I always love to hear your feedback and I'm always open to chatting now in the last two episodes of this c-section birth series we will be covering my second birth story as well as a Q&A episode on breastfeeding after a C-section, the C-section shelf, scar recovery, and so much more. If you haven't already, please do subscribe to the Pregnancy with Physio Laura podcast so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes in this wonderful birth series. Now, if you love today's episode and you want to devour the last few episodes in this C-section birth series, you can find this entire series along with all our other podcast series live right now inside the Pregnancy Posse. Inside the Pregnancy Posse, you'll also find weekly guided pregnancy workouts, an extensive resources library on birth preparation, pelvic floor exercises, and managing pelvic pain, plus a wonderful community forum and weekly Q&A sessions with me. Now, I'd love to help you have a wonderful pregnancy, birth, and postnatal journey. So just visit thepregnancyposse.com to see what the Pregnancy Posse is all about and to trial the program for seven days. 
I'll catch you soon for episode four in this five-part C-section birth series where we'll jump straight into my second birth story. Until then, mamas, sending you wonderful pregnancy vibes and enjoy the incredible journey that is pregnancy.